Last week, we looked at what I call Caiaphas syndrome. As I was saying last week, I had been thinking about that for a long time, about the Caiaphas strategy, or it was not a strategy, well, it was a clever strategy, but it was ulterior, absolute manipulation by Caiaphas. He apparently was a high priest for 12 years. So to survive that long, you will have to be a pretty uh, clever manipulator. You know, 12 years he was a high priest. Normally people don't last three or four years. And I think good people would have even lasted less. Uh, but he hung around for such a long time, making sure that, um, and he was, of course, the son-in-law of Anas, so he had connections as well there. He presided, he actually presided over the death of Jesus Christ uh, or the sentencing of Jesus Christ. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to share screen today. So I probably won't be able to see most of you, but everything is on screen if you want to take down notes. This is where we were, you know, so I said uh, we will look at this today. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And the question was, what is it that they did not know? I'll do a little bit of refreshing in the context of what we are looking at from last week. I want you to look at that screen seriously because, you know, it's a beautiful prayer. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. But I think many of us do not know what that prayer means. So that prayer actually includes us because we do not know what we are thinking about this prayer either. So this is, so my question is, what is it that they did not know? Luke 23, 34, this is where Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. My problem here is until Good Friday or until the day of his death, Jesus had no hesitation in saying, your sins are forgiven. In fact, that was one of the accusations against him that he forgives sins and uh, taking the place of God. Who are you to forgive sins? Are you God? Sort of thing. But come Good Friday on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Instead of saying, I forgive you. And this is the first thing that we want to look at. Uh, why? Why did he not say, I forgive you? Oh, for you do not know what you are doing to me. See, this is how we normally take it. I forgive you, or may God forgive you, or God, please forgive them. They do not know what they are doing to me. But it is a bit different from that. Jesus was not saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing to me. It is much, much bigger than that. And that's what we want to look at today. Okay, so the question is, why did Jesus not say, I forgive you all, for you do not know what you are doing to me? Well, was it because Jesus did not think he could forgive them? You know, uh, did he think that he, he was just not capable uh, from the cross to be able to do that? Secondly, uh, was he so angry that he wanted to forgive, but he could not? Um, uh, the deception and the rejection 
and the shaming and everything was so excruciating. Uh, he handed over that responsibility to God. Uh, so he asked God to do what he could not, what he did not want to do or could not do himself. The third question we ask is, did he on Good Friday feel so vulnerable that he wasn't sure about himself? Did he lose his whereabouts? Was he himself a little disillusioned on the cross? I mean, mind you, dying on a cross is not an easy thing. And Jesus was truly human. Did he become vulnerable? And the fourth question we ask is, was it because he had nothing to forgive? Like he, he was not angry. He was not holding any grudge or hatred against them. Uh, but they still needed God's forgiveness for what they were doing. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have nothing to forgive you. I have come to fulfill God's purposes and uh, this is my destiny, so I don't need to forgive you. But God still needs to forgive you because you are evil and your heart is evil and you are working, uh, you have fallen into the deception of Caiaphas and uh, the devil himself. So these are questions that are worth asking. Not that I have answers for them, but I think they are still worth asking. In order to find a satisfactory answer for these questions, we need to find out what was it that Jesus wanted God to forgive? And what was it that they did that they did not know they were doing? What was it that they did that they did not know? I think those two questions must be answered the right way so we can get a grasp of the meaning of that prayer. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they were doing. So the first thing, in line with what we looked at last week, the deception of Caiaphas, or I called him the high priest of deception. They did not know that Caiaphas had veiled the true meaning of Jesus' death. It is not death. It is not crucifixion. It is not the pain. It is not the agony of the cross, because that was all his destiny. I have come for this purpose, Jesus said. You know, he knew exactly why he was here. You know, even Simon, the old priest, uh, prophesied about it as he held the baby. He said, a sword will pierce through your heart also. The cross was a reality even before Christ was born. It was in the heart of God from eternity. So it was not the pain, but they did not know that Caiaphas had veiled the true meaning of Jesus' death. And what is that meaning? The love of God. And this is the first thing that we need to understand. So in John 11:47, after the raising of Lazarus from the dead, we hear this verse. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. We looked at this last week. Then the high priest started the process of veiling the true meaning of the cross. This is the genius of Caiaphas. And this is the deception of Caiaphas. The veiling. See, on the cross, Jesus unveiled the deception 
of the Garden of Eden. But in murdering Jesus, in plotting the murder of Jesus, Caiaphas veiled the meaning of the cross. And this we need to understand. So Caiaphas is veiling the true meaning of the cross immediately after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Because the possibility that if Lazarus could rise from the dead, what does that mean? It is also possible that Jesus could rise from the dead. You see, so it is very important that Caiaphas must write Jesus off completely. And we will look at that. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that he has said to them, you know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you. It is better for you that one man die for the people or the nation so that uh, the whole nation may not perish. So Caiaphas' deception. The first part of Caiaphas' deception is so clever. Nobody can deny it. Nobody can argue against it. And this is the good intention of Caiaphas. Caiaphas at first presented Jesus as the Lamb of God. There's tradition. This is Old Testament. This is God's Mosaic, Moses' law. You know, this is the Lamb of God given by God, sacrificed for the nation. So let us have one man. It is better that one man should die, a lamb should be offered at the altar. And of course, Caiaphas knows where it is going, but nobody else knows. You see, this is beautiful. I mean, it starts with fantastic idea. Let us do this amazing thing. How often do you hear politicians say it? Even religious leaders say it. And how often we have had fantastic good intentions. But yet, hidden within the intention, the motive may have been wrong. And as I said last week, quoting from murder in the cathedral, T.S. Eliot's uh, play, you know, uh, this last temptation is the worst. To do the right thing for the wrong reason, says um, the Archbishop, uh, just before he was murdered in the cathedral. Um, but he had no intention of letting Jesus die according to the plan of God as the Savior of the world. He wanted Jesus to die. That is important. But he did not want Jesus to die as a savior of the world. But he starts the process. You know, it is acceptable to the religious leaders saying it's a good idea to have a lamb to be sacrificed because that is our tradition. That is our religious uh, practice. Caiaphas veiled the true meaning of the cross and turned it into a mission for self-gain. And I must say, I feel really, really sorry as the beginning of this Holy Week, how many Christian leaders have used the cross for self-gain. And that can be in many areas, not just in one area, whether it be wealth or popularity or, you know, whatever it is, you know, just, just our own ego, Caiaphas veiled the true meaning of the cross. And how many Christian organizations have started with the exclusive purpose of evangelism and today they do everything except evangelism. And we have so many examples for this today. So good intentions 
are not enough. And in the case of Caiaphas, he only pretended to have good intention. Let Jesus be a scapegoat. So he moves from Lamb of God to a scapegoat. You see, very interesting. Originally, his idea was it is better for one man to die for the nation. But he says, we don't want him to be the savior. Let him be the carrier of the sin of the people rather than the expiation of the sin, the solution to human sin. You see, it's very interesting. Let him carry it. See, moving from a solution to a carrier is a little slippery slope, but the semantics are there and he knows where he is taking you. It is better that one man die. But this time, let him die, not as a lamb of God, but as a scapegoat of God. You are all dumb. This is, uh, I, I thought this translation was pretty clever. You are all dumb-witted idiots. We looked at this last week. I don't know. They are not my words. I think it's in some modern translation. Can't you see that if we apply the scapegoat principle, we can, I, may, I, I think they are my words. I think I probably wrote it myself. Sorry about that. Um, I don't know why I'm blaming someone else for it. Uh, you're all dumb-witted idiots. Can't you see that if we apply the scapegoat principle, we can get rid of this man called Jesus and everyone will thank us because they will think that we have done it for their good. We are doing a favor to everybody. You don't understand your religious leaders. You think you are high priests. You think you are uh, Pharisees, scribes and so on, but you don't understand. Let us have this man. Let us give this man over for the sake of the nation. But there is a problem. This is the Caiaphas dilemma right in the middle of the deception. We have been looking at many dilemmas before. Caiaphas dilemma. The problem is the true scapegoat is not killed. We looked at that last week. The scapegoat is set free to wander. So what do we do? So he made Jesus an scapegoat. And this is where I have created this word called a scapegoat. So because Jesus actually does not die as Lamb of God or a scapegoat because a scapegoat is not murdered. So he has to become an scapegoat. It is better that one man die so that we can all get out of our problems. This is what happens when the true meaning of the cross is turned into a mission for self-gain. We make Jesus an scapegoat. We make the cross an scapegoat. We make the church an scapegoat. And this is the story of the Christian church. This is the story of Christianity in many parts of the world. As Kenyatta of Kenya is famously known to have said, when missionaries came to Africa, we had the land and they had the Bibles. They taught us to close our eyes and pray. And we closed our eyes and prayed. And when we opened our eyes, they had the land and we had the Bibles. I think that describes this whole predicament of Caiaphas. This is what happens when the true meaning of the cross is turned into a mission for self-gain. What they did not know. They did not know that Caiaphas had cleverly deluded them and rejected 
the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his beloved son. And Caiaphas was indirectly first turning Jesus into the Lamb of God, then the scapegoat, but eventually making him an scapegoat was actually rejecting the gift of God. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8, we read Apostle Paul saying, none of the rulers of the world, he was talking about the Pharisees, Sadducees and the high priests and so on, none of the rulers of the world understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Actually, what Paul said would be, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory the way they did it. Because the Lord of glory was going to be crucified. But the way they did it would not have happened. That's the difference. What they did not know, in Acts 3, verse 17, Peter stands up to preach and he says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance and did also your rulers. They did not know that what they were doing was not pleasing to God. It was hatred. It was ungodliness being manifested. It is not the crucifixion that Jesus was referring to. It is the manner in which he was murdered that he was referring to, i.e. the rejection of the gift of God. I don't know if I'm making a reference to this later on, but uh, in case I don't, let me say this. The best way to understand this is the parable of the vineyard, where the landlord has set up a vineyard, planted the vine, uh, had the wine press, the whole thing was set up, boundaries, fences, the whole thing, and let the tenants have them. And then one after another, he sends his messengers and they chuck him out. And finally his son comes. They murder him. That is what is happening here. Because they think that if they could murder the son, they can have everything. But this is exactly what happened in the garden. This is what happened here. They lost the paradise, the promise of God. So Caiaphas' deception, he manipulated Jesus' crucifixion into a cleansing ceremony. So this ceremony is not unlike the stoning of Achan we looked at last year. Or the attempted stoning of the woman caught in adultery. Of course, because Jesus was there, the stoning did not happen that day. But in the case of Achan, Joshua stoned him and then changed the rule book the following day. They were serving God by eradicating a false prophet who was rejected by God. Can you see the slippery slope here? Caiaphas says, let us have this man Jesus as a lamb of God. Then he turns him into a scapegoat. But then the problem is the scapegoat does not die. He could have allowed Jesus to die as a lamb of God, but then he becomes a savior of the world. He can't handle that. He has to die. But he doesn't want him to die as a lamb of God, so he makes him the scapegoat. But then the scapegoat does not die, so he makes him the scapegoat. Now he has come to the stage where it is a cleansing ceremony, exactly like Joshua did. This man must die because he is a problem. He is not the lamb of God. He is not the scapegoat. He is not even an scapegoat. He is real trouble. And we are doing a service to God. 
by eradicating this false prophet. So this is our duty now, to get rid of him. Remember what the chief priest standing by the cross said. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Implication, God did not rescue Jesus from the cross. That means Jesus did not come from God and God did not want him. If God wanted him, he would have rescued him. But since God did not rescue him, God didn't want him. In other words, he was rejected by God. Therefore, whatever Jesus said, he was not speaking on behalf of God. The rejection was complete. So there is no Lamb of God. There is no scapegoat. There is not even an escape goat. Here is a man, a false prophet, who claimed to be God, rejected by God, and they are now doing a service to God by getting rid of this man. It's a cleansing ceremony. They did not know about the self-veiling power of evil. Evil has an amazing way of hiding itself. And uh, Jesus himself said, Satan can be the angel of light. How the high priest had hidden the true meaning of the cross. This is what they did not know. So when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What he was saying was, Dear God, my Father, these people, they do not know what Caiaphas has done. That he has covered the power of evil and nobody can see how evil it is and hidden the true meaning of the cross. Forgive them, for they do not know the true meaning of the cross yet. Your love for them, they do not know. It is God's love they rejected. Therefore, it is important that God forgives them, not Jesus. See, that's why he said, Father, forgive them. So the crime was committed against God because it is his gift that was rejected. So don't focus on Mel Gibson's passion. That is not what is a problem here. The problem is why Jesus was rejected because of the self-veiling power of evil and Caiaphas cleverly used it. And we must be very careful. They did not know how much God loved them. And I think in many ways we can apply that to our own lives, our own families. Sometimes we hurt the very people who love us, reject their love and find it difficult to live in peace. This can happen to us too. The true meaning of the cross may never become a reality in our lives too. Because of the self-veiling power, ability of evil, we will never see the true meaning of the cross unless we seriously look for it and trust God and deny and reject the power of evil operating within us. I must tempted to go back to Joseph again. Why was he able to reject? Why was he able to resist the evil? I think he must have known somehow how powerful 
evil is in veiling itself, covering itself up and appearing to be good when it is bad. We can easily forget how much God loves us. The second thing that they did not know is they crucified Jesus because they did not understand the character of God. So first, they did not understand the meaning of the cross. Second, they did not understand the character of God. They did not know God's true character. They could not know it because they had rejected and murdered the one who came to reveal God. And this is the tragedy of it all. They were brought up with the idea that God hates all those who disagree with him and God punishes all those who disobey him. So here is Jesus who is being punished. Suffering and sickness is a sign of personal sin. It is God's rejection. You see, Iromba, uh, uh, when Jesus' disciples saw a man who was born blind, he asked him, uh, Teacher, whose sin is it that this man is born blind? His parents or his? And Jesus' answer is powerful and beautiful at the same time. He says, it is neither his sin nor his parents' sin, but this is an opportunity for us to show the power of God demonstrate the power of God, that God's glory, not power, actually God's glory may be demonstrated. Job's friends were stuck with the same problem as well. In John 14 verse 7, Jesus said, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him because you have seen me. So, implied in this verse is the the antithesis that is if you do not know me then you will not know the father if you do not accept me you will not accept the father if you reject me then you have you are rejecting the father they did not know this that to know god they have to know jesus the disciples heard it but the crowd who rejected him did not know Last week I mentioned unanimity minus one. How the entire crowd was unified in rejecting Jesus. So the only person who was against that rejection was the victim himself. This is the unbelievable power of Caiaphas that everyone, even the disciples who knew the truth, rejected him. It was not poverty that brought the prodigal son back to his father. It was not hunger, but it was a father's heart. It says, when he came to himself, he said, in my father's house. He thought of his father's house and he says, my father is actually a good man. Look at the way he treats his servants. I will arise and go to my father. This is conversion. This is true understanding. Those who do not understand the character of God cannot appreciate the love of God. And this is something that we need to understand. We, if we do not understand the character of God, we cannot understand the love of God. Because the love of God is part of his character. For God so loved that he gave. And we read in 1 John, the epistle, God is nothing but love.
They did not know that the cross of Christ was the final merging of God's love and his wrath. They were looking at the wrath of God, but they did not see the love of God manifested on the cross. And I constantly refer to this little verse from the Old Testament, Habakkuk 3, 2, where the prophet says, In wrath, remember mercy. And the cross is where God remembers his wrath and his mercy at the same time. And they did not know this. They did not know that the cross was the very means of their salvation. For God was in Christ. Sorry, I missed the bit. Reconciling the world unto himself. That's what that verse says. For God was in Christ. Reconciling the world unto himself. So when they looked at the cross, they saw the rejection of God. Rather than the provision of God, i.e. the salvation. This is what they did not know. So when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. What he was saying was, Father, forgive them for they cannot see they are not seeing the salvation provided through the cross. That the cross was the very means of their saving grace. It was their way of escape. The third thing that they did not know, they did not know the plans and purposes of God. So we looked at, they did not know the love of God. They did not know the character of God. They did not know the plans and purposes of God. When we refuse to accept God's plans for our lives, we are rejecting God's authority over our lives. And this is what happened in the garden. I can't remember who I was talking to. Did I mention this last night? Or did it happen? Anyway, the other night I couldn't sleep very well. Um, I think, I don't know what happened. Um, but... I think I don't sleep very well most nights anyway. Um, and um, I was thinking about, oh yeah, that's right. One of our missionary friends wrote to us saying that he has just got repatriated from uh, Madagascar and had two weeks of quarantine in Sydney. So he said um, the hotel was beautiful, the room was nice, the food was good, the bed was soft, but I never understood why when a person is punished by the law, they are put in jail because you can have everything but your freedom is so important. That must have been working on the back of my mind as I went to bed. And putting two and two together, I would like you to listen carefully to this. This is weird. You know, in the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And what did God do? Any answers? What did God do? He, he came and searched for them. Yes. And what did he do by way of punishment? If you want to call it punishment. Sorry? Send them, send them out of the garden. Yes. And See, today we lock people up. God set them free. This is very interesting, I thought. God said, okay, you can go. So the punishment that God gives is living without his protection and his boundary. This is what happens when we disobey God. God does not lock us up. God does not put us in jail. He says, you, I have given you boundaries. You shall not eat of that tree and that tree. 
but you don't want those, you don't want to obey me, then what I do is I give you unbounded freedom. And this is the curse of the world today, this unbounded freedom. Freedom without boundaries. What a curse it is. And in fact, God had angels with flaming lightning swords like the Darth Vader or whoever, uh, you know, standing by the gate of the garden so that they won't come back into a life of boundaries. You know, it's very interesting. Today, when somebody does something wrong, we restrict them, put them in in fences, in, in walls, in rooms, and as it goes further and further, solitary confinement, no light, no companionship, you can't even stretch out and sleep properly. You know, completely take away from community. But when God punished Adam and Eve, God put them out of his protection and boundary and said, you, you wanted freedom, you don't want to obey me. You can have unbounded freedom, which will be your own destruction. Today, the world is destroying itself because of this unbounded freedom. When we refuse to accept God's plans for our lives, we are rejecting God's authority. And I think this is what uh, I was referring to, the parable of the wicked tenants who rejected God's authority. They murdered the son. So they did not know that God was pleased with Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they do not know that you are pleased with me. They never heard you say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That I am truly the suffering servant, prophet Isaiah spoke about. They do not know this. If only they could open their eyes and see it, but they don't. Please forgive them. We trust God, not because he rescues us from all our troubles, but because he stays with us. Let us listen to Jesus once again. Father, forgive them, for they do not know. So what was it that they did not know? They did not know about the self-veiling power of evil. The deception of the garden is the same as the deception of Caiaphas. Rejection of the gift of God can be made to look like a service or an offering to God. And that's what Caiaphas did. So what was it that they did not know? Secondly, they did not know the character of God. God is a God of justice and mercy at the same time. Sin demands righteous acts. Vengeance is mine. Yesterday in the training session, I was referring to uh, a new meaning of uh, vengeance that I found in this book. It says, Between Vengeance and Forgiveness. Lovely book. And um, it's... I like this interpretation by a judge. Uh, it's a Jewish lady. And uh, she says, vengeance is not just retribution, but it is also 
the demand to act or respond righteously when an unrighteousness is done or when uh, an injustice is done. This is also part of vengeance. And if you walk away without responding that injustice, then you are also acting unrighteously. In other words, it is my responsibility to defend the weak, the oppressed, and so on. Suffering is not the absence or the presence of God. It can be the opposite. God was in Christ on the cross, though he was suffering. And this is a new character and a new revelation about God. If all those who were standing around the cross thought that Jesus was a false prophet, that God had rejected Jesus and condemned him, that God hates his enemies, his love and wrath do not meet, then it does not matter how much Jesus kept saying, I forgive you. At best, they would say, your forgiveness means nothing because God doesn't forgive you. Look at the way you are dying. You are a um, false prophet. It is important for Jesus to demonstrate that he forgives because God is a forgiving God. It comes back to the character of God. If God is not forgiving, all our forgiveness is meaningless. What does the cross of Christ reveal? And this I, I deliberately wanted to have this uh, meditation this week as we are looking ahead to a whole week of passion and meditation on the cross. What does the cross of Christ reveal? The God whom Jesus called Father is a merciful God. Loving and compassionate, he forgives. We can also forgive. That is how we reflect the character of God. In our forgiveness, the world will know it is our witness. It is our, uh, our testimony to the world that we forgive. Yesterday, we, uh, in the training session, we looked at the meaning of letting go. That prayer, Jesus taught us to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Please let me go as I let other people go. The degree to which I let other people go is the degree to which I experience freedom. If I don't let other people go, I am bound to them. I am the one who is in bondage. What does the cross of Christ reveal? It tells us that oppression cannot stop me reflecting God's character, but it can make me pay a very high price for it. Yes, it can increase the cost, but it cannot stop me living a godly life. The choice is, do I want to? Once again, Joseph's story is a good example for this. How can I forgive? I can forgive only if I'm confident of God's character. We looked at that before. So, why do I forgive? Forgiveness is a demonstration of the character of God. Forgiveness is a gift of God. And forgiveness is accepting God's authority over our lives. When we forgive, we are saying, God is ultimately in control. I can let you go. I'm not going to hold you responsible because God is the judge of all. God 
is the one who has supreme authority. And I hand over that to God. Father, forgive them. For they do not know your character. Finally, I may be able to forgive a wrong, but only God can right a wrong. And this we need to understand. I may be able to forgive a wrong doing, but only God can right a wrong. I pray that um, this Holy Week is a time of refreshing for us as we think about God's forgiveness through the cross, the most misunderstood symbol because it is a symbol of the worst form of cruelty and at the same time the highest expression of grace, mercy and love. And as we come to meditate on this particular activity, let us not focus too much on how much Jesus suffered, but let us focus on why he suffered. The Father who gives his Son up because he loves. It's just amazing paradox. So, God bless you and um, that's probably the end of my, not probably, that is the end of my sharing with you.